This morning we'll be considering together the teaching of the Hutterberg Catechism in Lord's Day 32 on page 19 in the back of the Psalter. Page 19, Lord's Day 32, at the beginning of the third and the last section of the Hutterberg Catechism of thankfulness, and you see that mentioned as part of the reason for doing good works. We show our gratitude to God for His blessings. Question 86. Since then we are delivered from our misery merely of grace through Christ without any merit of ours. Why must we still do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed and delivered us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image. That so we may testify by the whole of our conduct our gratitude to God for his blessings, and that he may be praised by us also that everyone may be assured in himself of his faith by the fruits thereof, and that by our godly conversation others may be gained to Christ. Question 87. Cannot they then be saved who, continuing in their wicked and ungrateful lives, are not converted to God? By no means, for the Holy Scripture declares that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, covetous man, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or any such like shall inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to read this morning in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, great passage on the grace of God in salvation. And we'll read the first 13 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. This is the holy and inspired word of God. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, 
are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We read this far in the holy and inspired word of God. And in connection with the catechism's teaching on good works, we're especially interested in what verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Does salvation by grace alone, apart from works, mean that good works really don't matter, are not that important? Does the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ our Savior in our place, which is our righteousness and our standing before God, mean that your obedience and my obedience is really not that important? That's really the first question here. Since we are delivered from our misery merely of grace, by grace alone, it means through Christ, without any merit, why must we or must we still do good works? Is it all that important? And the answer is, very emphatically, we must. God's law is given to be obeyed. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning, that you may learn them and keep them and do them. Do them. God's law is given to be obeyed. And God has saved us by grace for His glory. We read that in verse 7, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. It's that God may receive the glory, but God has done this in this way, that we show His glory and that we give Him glory in our obedience. And that's the connection here between this great verse, verse 8 and verse 10. Verse 8, which emphasizes salvation by grace alone, apart from works, boy, by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is merely of grace in Jesus Christ. But still, the purpose is good works. So verse 10 continues, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Salvation is not the result of human effort. We don't contribute even a penny to our salvation. But this does not mean that we sit back and that we do nothing. No, we are busy. God has prepared us to work. He's given us work. We have a purpose in salvation that is to work. We have a mandate from God as those who are saved, a calling, a responsibility. And we're motivated to live in this life of good works by the grace of God that we have known and experienced. And unless we do, and here's the urgency, we have no place in the kingdom of God. That's the point of the second question and answer. Can they be saved who continue in wicked and ungrateful lives? And the answer is an emphatic no. They have no part in the kingdom of Christ. And the scriptures make that plain. Ephesians chapter 5 is one of the verses that... Ephesians chapter 5 verses, 15, uh, verses 5 and 6 is one of the passages that is quoted to bring home this urgency. For this we know that no whoremonger, unclean person, covetous man, idolater, 
hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, let no one deceive you because of these things. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. And thus we think as we think of the sins described there, well, those are all the people out there in the world, idolaters. Listen to what John says, and this is one of the verses quoted in support of 87 as well. 1 John 3, let us be warned. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And so this morning we come to the doctrine of good works and we come to see the urgency of this. Let's consider this morning that we are saved unto good works. Notice three things with me. First, that we are God's workmanship. Second, that our good works are salvation's purpose. And then third, our walking in good works. If we look this morning at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we see from the way it begins that there is no work, no good work that we can perform apart from God first working in us. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We That means we believers, we who, according to verse 8, are saved by grace. By grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of us. We are His workmanship. That word workmanship tells us that in salvation, God not only does something for us, Jesus Christ does not only accomplish something outside of us on His own at the cross, But in salvation, God does something in us. Jesus does something in us. We are created in Christ Jesus, or even by Christ Jesus, unto good works. And the workmanship here refers to the work of regeneration. We are, according to an earlier verse here, verse 5, quickened. He's quickened us together with Christ. That quickening work is the work of making us new creatures in Jesus Christ. What's described in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. This way, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. So we have the new life of Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. And this is the recreation of us into the image of God's Son. This is the purpose of God's even predestinating grace. Romans 8, verse 29, He's predestinated us that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. And unless God does this work, John 3 tells us, we cannot see and we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. We are His workmanship. That's a beautiful word, the word workmanship. It really has the idea of a masterpiece created by an artist. And there are different forms of art we can think of here. You think of poetry or literature, and an author takes ordinary words and he puts them together in a way that speaks beauty and that appeals to the soul. Or you think of an artist with brush and canvas and three colors of paints, blobs, 
and he creates a beautiful landscape or a perfect portrait. Or you think of music and a musician taking together the, the squealing violin and the clanging cymbals and the blaring trumpet and creating a beautiful orchestral piece. We are his workmanship. And the beauty in the art is not in the different elements, but the beauty comes from the soul of the Creator. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God has done something in our salvation that no artist can accomplish. Think of the raw materials with which He works. Those are described for us earlier in the chapter. You hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's describing our depravity, and that's described in these terms that we were under the dominion of Satan, the prince of the power of the air that now works in the spirit, in the, in the children of disobedience, that we were by nature children of wrath born to be condemned by nature. God, but God. Those are the beautiful words in this section, verse 4. But God, God, who is rich in mercy, He comes as the great artist and works a transformation that no artist can accomplish. He molds us. He changes us. We become new creatures. The old man and the lusts of the flesh, we not only become aware of, but they die. They're put to death. They're mortified. We continually mortify them. He gives us a new mind and a new life so that we think things after His Son, so that we live with the power of His grace within us. We live to love God. We are given a new will to choose and to desire and to seek after God and the things of heaven. And all of this begins with the work that God does in us by grace. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I say workmanship like a work of art. You go to a gallery an art gallery or an art show, or you perhaps go to a concert, the symphony, and you say, that was marvelous. And this morning, we should stand back and marvel at the great work that God has done in salvation. This is the work that He's done in you. We might marvel at the testimony that we hear of those who have been called from unbelief to Jesus Christ, and we hear these stories, and no, God has done this to you. You were under the power of sin and Satan by nature, children of wrath. And that is confirmed in the verses that follow. Remember, verse 11, that you being in times past Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? This is who we are, the uncircumcised we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. His workmanship. You marvel this morning at the work of grace, not only in what Christ has done for you on Calvary, but what he does in you to make you a new creature. 
And his purpose is this, to make us active. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In salvation, we're not only taken from the dominion of Satan and from the prison house of sin. We have not only the the weight of the guilt of our sin removed from us so that we have a right standing before God. But we are renewed to be and to do something. You see, Christianity is not a spectator sport that we observe and that we watch what God is doing. No, it's worked in us by the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's really the point of the answer in 86. Christ having redeemed and delivered us by His blood, that's what He's done for us. He also renews us by His Holy Spirit after His own image. That's God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And then this purpose that so we may testify by the whole of our conduct that is all our living, our gratitude to God for his blessings, that he may be praised by us, that everyone may be assured in himself of his faith by the fruits thereof, and that by our godly conversation others may be gained to Christ. This is talking about your and my activity as those who have been made new creatures. You see, the must here of good works, why must we do good works, is not just the must of consequence. It's not just the must of necessity. This will happen because you have been renewed. No, this is the must, the urgency that we feel within us. We are constrained by the love of God. And so we say to ourselves, we say to one another, We must do good works. How I love thy law. And that's God's purpose in saving us. Of course, it's not the only purpose. And it's not even the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is his glory. But this is the way that we, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and renewed by the Holy Spirit, this is the way that we bring glory to God, which is the ultimate purpose. We do it by a life of good works. Titus chapter 2 makes that very clear. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Is that our salvation? Yes, it is. But look at what the catechism adds to it. Having redeemed us and delivered us, also renews us and here's the purpose in Titus 2 verse 14 he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity he set us free from the bondage and tyranny and the guilt and the weight of sin that he might purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works that peculiar people that's the elect a special people And they have been redeemed, they've been set free by his atoning blood with this purpose, that they might be a people zealous of good works. What are these good works? Ephesians chapter 2 makes plain the point that we have just been emphasizing, that this is the purpose of our salvation. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
Unto is a preposition, and the prepositions are very important here in Ephesians chapter 2 and in understanding God's work and God's grace in salvation. By grace are ye saved through faith. By grace through faith. Not of yourselves, not of works, but unto good works. And so good works are presented by those prepositions as the fruit of our salvation. We are saved by the grace of God. That's the power that accomplishes our salvation. We are saved through faith. That's the means by which we experience and receive salvation, the instrument of faith. And the purpose is good works, unto good works. Scripture is not against good works but it's against trusting them and seeing them as the foundation. Work. The word for work in Ephesians chapter 2 and in the New Testament is the word from which we get the English word energy. Energy. I said Christianity and the life of the Christian is not a spectator sport. That word energy has the idea of participation, doesn't it? Rather than spectator. And we are busy working. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2 tells us good works require energy. That energy is really the struggle against sin, the sacrifice, uh, the, the, the the recognition of the old man of sin and his presence and his continuing power and, and the crucifying of the old man. But it's not only negative, it's also positive. Uh, a people zealous of good works. So that this is the, what we recognize to be the purpose of our living as Christians, zealous to do good works. And of course, this is not something that we can accomplish in our own strength. So we turn back to the grace of God. And really, this is what it is to know God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So in faith, we live in dependence upon the grace of God. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul prays for the godliness, the good works of the church in Colossae. This is how he puts it. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's praying that they might know the grace of God, that they may be filled with the knowledge of God. And then he gives the purpose of that, verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Sometimes we get the idea that knowledge and godliness are separate from one another. That this one, knowledge, is somehow more important. And what Paul is saying here is this is how you show that you know by your godliness. Think of that doctrine according to godliness. It's a scriptural phrase. And our godliness is the, the evidence to, that, that, that we know God. And so we are to pray for this. We are to encourage one another in this. Provoke one another to love 
and to good works. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says. And not just good works here and there smattered throughout our life, but a way of life. That's the idea of the plural. Unto good works. Unto a way of life in godliness. Those good works are going to be defined for us in the next Lord's Day. Three qualifications are given. Done out of true faith, performed according to the law of God, and done to His glory. These are good works in contrast to evil works. These are works that are wholesome in God's sight because they're done according to His commandments. They're done out of faith, in dependence on Him, and they're done to the glory of God. And these works are good because they promote God's cause and God's kingdom and God's gospel. And they're not good in the sense that they are spectacular. Sometimes we get that idea about good works too. Things that are obvious. No. When something's done out of pride. To be recognized. No longer a good work, is it? It's not to bring glory to man. Good works are the life of simple, quiet obedience, serving God in whatever position and place He's given you. In faith, obedience, love, gratitude, and to His glory. That this is God's purpose for us in redeeming us and in renewing us is especially clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in that phrase, which God hath before ordained. This phrase, or the words that make up this phrase, are only used one other place in the New Testament, and you could probably guess where, and that's in Romans chapter 9, which is speaking of the great work of predestination, and it's telling us that in His eternal decree of predestination, God did not only choose and reprobate, but God chose with a purpose. And God chose with this purpose that we would be predestined unto good works. God had before ordained that we should walk in them. That is, God has prepared these works for us. And God has prepared in that way all the circumstances, all the relationships, all the places that we would find ourselves in His providence, in our lives. And God has prepared all of that so that we, each one, may live in good works to His glory. This is God's will. This is God's will not just in the sense of His precept, but this is God's will in the sense of His decree. He is predetermined that we would walk in these good works. And here there's no conflict between the eternal will of God and the responsibility of man. God works through us. Psalm 110 puts it this way, that in the day of His power He makes us willing so that God is always first in our good works, that our good works proceed from the grace of God, that God has gone before us, as it were, to predetermine the good deeds that we would perform, to give us the grace to be able to do them. He's determined to save us, and He's determined to save us so that we will bring glory to Him. And this is what He accomplishes as He has foreordained, that we should walk in these good works. And really what that means is that in the life of godliness, we have arrived, in an earthly sense, a temporal sense, at the destiny 
that God has for us. Sometimes as we live our lives in this world, we wonder what our purpose is. And here's the point. You glorify God by living a simple life of godliness in the place where he's put you. I want you to think of Joseph in Potiphar's house. That wasn't God's final purpose in bringing Joseph to Egypt. But when Joseph was in Potiphar's house as a slave, he understood this is where God wants me right now. And what he says at the end of his life, ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, was the governing principle of all of Joseph's faith as he lived through those many years in Egypt as a slave and then in prison. And what's Joseph's thought? This is where God wants me now. So what did he do in Potiphar's house? He worked. And he did his work as unto the Lord. And it was recognized. And the Lord blessed it. And maybe God's called you to something that you think doesn't have much recognition, much purpose. You look at what others are doing and it seems so much more significant. No, you live where God's put you. And that's the purpose. Your good works. You, in a sense, have received or attained the destiny by God's grace that He has for you. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way, Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It has an eternal value. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained. And the fruit of a life of godliness, of good works, will be uh, two things especially, and both of them are pointed to here in the Catechism. First, a confidence as we live our lives in this world. James tells us that faith without works is dead. That where there isn't a life of godliness that flows from an apparent confession of faith, then that confession of faith is counterfeit. So where there's a genuine faith, that faith will produce good works. And so the Scriptures tell us that you know a tree by its fruit. And that has especially personal application. And that's pointed to here in the Catechism. We may know that our faith is genuine by the fruits thereof. And so there's a personal testimony to our own conscience, of the genuineness of our faith that comes from a life of godliness. Do you see that in yourself? A zealous of good works, Christian? That, of course, is not the ultimate ground for our assurance and faith, but it is one of the ways in which God adds to, confirms the awareness of His grace in our lives. And then there's another fruit of this, and it's this, that God uses our good works as a light. You can think of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world, that by your good works, 
Others may glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that serves a purpose as we live with one another as believers. And it serves a purpose beyond that in the witness and the testimony that we give to a world of unbelievers. So let your light shine. Jesus means live here in the life of good works, of godliness, to God's glory. And aside from the preaching of the gospel, this becomes the greatest witness and testimony of the Christian church and of believers to the gospel itself. It's a fruit that shows the power of the grace of God in our lives. Think of the way that the apostle describes that contrast in Ephesians chapter 2. These were people who, as Gentiles, were separate from the promises of God, were walking in the way of the world, and were under the dominion of darkness. But now, being quickened, there's been a change. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, you were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. There's your life. Give such a testimony of the grace of God. God has foreordained them that we might walk in them. We must walk in them. To walk is to live. It speaks of the direction of our life, not only, but also of the activity of the child of God. And the rest of Ephesians is the apostle builds on this idea. He says, walk in love, walk in the light, walk in wisdom. He speaks of the way that we should walk in marriage, the way that we should walk in our relationships in the home as parents and children to one another, and especially in Ephesians chapter 6 of the the way that we should walk as soldiers putting putting on the armor of God. Is that your walk? Grace compels us to the life of godliness. And a part of that for us, and we're going to come to this in the catechism, is that we're familiar with the will or the word of God for our lives. This is to know God, isn't it? To know his word. The Ten Commandments are God's will for us, but they are a reflection of the character of God Himself, ultimately. And it's as we come to know the character of God Himself that we walk in obedience in this world. God says, live in love with your neighbor because He's a God of love. God says, speak the truth because He's a God of truth. God says, no idolatry because He's God alone. And it's as we come to know him in his word that we live in obedience. So this morning, and as we go on into the law of God, the Ten Commandments, we are to look at our lives. Where am I not living in good works? To look at the situation, the place that God has put you in life, in this life, that he's preordained for you. What are the good works that he is foreordained for you to walk in and then be busy, be zealous for the work of the Lord, loving, serving obediently to his glory and faith where he's put you so that you may be a testimony to others and a testimony to the world. There's an urgency 
Ephesians 5 verse 15 puts it this way, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so may God equip us unto every good work. I want to conclude this morning by pointing to the work of the Savior. He says concerning himself, My Father works hitherto, and I work. We sang earlier Psalm 40, and it was prophetic. The words of Jesus Christ, I come to do thy will. Jesus came into this world to work the work that the Father had given to him. And what a work it was. What a God-honoring work. The greatest work that was ever accomplished in which he made the greatest sacrifice in obedience to God. And that work of Jesus Christ is the foundation. It's what's described here in Christ having redeemed and delivered us by his blood. And that tells us the place of our good works too. They are important, but they are not the foundation of our salvation. They are not meriting with God in any way. They are all to be renounced as the foundation for our salvation because in the end, the best of them are filthy rags and we have only a small beginning. And so we look away from our work, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we do that by believing through faith. Faith and works are set, in a sense, against each other here. It's not that they're opposed to one another, but they're opposed to one another in this way, that in faith we rest in the work of Christ and we renounce all trust in our own works. And that that means living our lives in humility. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We just finished the first section of Matthew chapter 6, which has to do with worship. And you remember the scribes and the Pharisees there in their giving, their doing of alms, in their prayers and in their fasting, to be seen of men. And Jesus says they have their reward. They are seen of men. And they rest in their righteousness. We come to Jesus Christ in faith. We rest in his righteousness. And then we live, not for our glory, but that God may receive the glory. Amen. Father, we are thankful for the power of thy grace, this wonderful workmanship in which we are created in Christ Jesus with this glorious purpose to live a life zealous of good works, but then not to do this as something for our own praise, but to do it to the glory of thy name in gratitude as an expression of the power and the experience of thy grace in us. And so, Lord, help us to understand the place of good works, but also the necessity and the importance of them. And in this way, help us to encourage one another 
in, in our Christian living to love and to good works and also to be a light to the world around us. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.